Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And you can find out more by visiting their website, Johnson's Air Conditioning. Com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be discussing the life of Diamond Jim Brady. What about Diamond Jim? And uh, Jim McTagg will be joining us. He is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries uh, located in Washington, D.C. It is October the 5th, and on this day in 2011, Steve Jobs, the visionary co-founder of Apple, which revolutionized the computer, music, and mobile communications industries with such devices as Macintosh, iPod, iPhone, and iPad, died at age 56 of complications from pancreatic cancer. Born on February the 24th, 1955, in San Francisco, he was uh, born to two unmarried graduate students. He was adopted as a baby by Paul Jobs, a Silicon Valley machinist, and his wife Clara, after graduating from high school in Cupertino, California. In 1972, he attended Reed College, a liberal arts school in Portland, Oregon, for a single semester before dropping out. He later worked briefly for the pioneering video, video game maker Atari, in California, traveled to India and studied Zen Buddhism. So interesting. In 1976, he was uh, and his he and his uh, computer engineer friend Steve Wozniak founded Apple Computer in Jobs' parents' garage in Los Altos, California. As Bloomberg News would later note about Jobs, he had no formal technical training and no real business experience. What he had instead was an appreciation of technology's elegance and a notion that computers could be more than a hobbyist toy or a corporation's workhorse. These machines could be indispensable tools. In 1977, he and Wozniak launched Apple II, which became the first popular personal computer. In 1980, Apple went in public and Jobs, then in his mid-20s, became a multimillionaire. Four years later, Apple debuted Macintosh, one of the first personal computers to feature a graphical user interface which allowed people to navigate by pointing and clicking a mouse rather than typing in commands. In 1985, Jobs left the company following a power struggle with the board of directors. That same year, he established NEXT, a business that developed high-performance computers. The machines proved too pricey to gain wide consumer audience. However, British computer scientist Tim Berners-Lee developed the World Wide Web using Next Workstation. In 1986, Jobs acquired a small business computer graphics studio founded by filmmaker George Lucas and rechristened it Pixar Animation Studios. In 1995, Pixar released its first film, Toy Story, the first ever feature-length computer animated movie. It became a huge box office success and was followed by such award-winning hits as Finding Nemo in 2003, The Incredibles, in 2006, Walt Disney Company purchased Pixar for more than $7 billion, making Jobs the largest Disney shareholder. In late 1996, Apple, which had floundered without Jobs, announced it would buy NEXT and hire Jobs as an advisor. The following year, he became Apple's interim CEO, and that was dropped in 2002. He became the CEO, and under his leadership, a nearly bankrupt uh, Apple was transformed into one of the planet's most valuable corporations. A charismatic, demanding perfectionist, Jobs was said to possess the ability to intuit what customers wanted before they knew it themselves. In his trademark jeans and black mark turtleneck, the tech titan turned product launches into highly anticipated events, and Apple introduced a series of innovative dig digital devices, including the iPod, portable music player, and 2001, the iPhone in 2007. Can you imagine the iPhone's been around only 13 years? The iPad was uh, developed in 2010 and introduced. That became part of everyday modern life. In early 2007, Jobs announced that Cupertino-based Apple was dropping computer from its official moniker to reflect the fact that the company's focus had shifted from compu computers only to mobile electronic devices. Despite a series of medical issues, including surgery in 2004 to remove a pancreatic tumor, 
and a 2009 liver transplant. Jobs continued to lead Apple until August 24, 2011, when he stepped down as the company's chief executive. Six weeks later, he passed away at his Palo Alto home in California. At the time of his death, Jobs, a father of four, had a net worth estimated at more than $7 billion. According to biographer Walter Isaacson, Jobs was the greatest business executive of our era, the one most certain to be remembered a century from now. History will place him in the Pantheon right next to Thomas Edison and Henry Ford. Steve Jobs died at age 56 of pancreatic cancer on this day in 2011. Amazing, amazing life. A a foster child, he was adopted. uh, The Florida Department of Health reported 22 new cases on Friday, 52 new COVID-19 cases and three deaths on Saturday, and 47 cases yesterday, uh, and no additional deaths. As of October 1st, the seven-day moving average was 28 new cases. So way down in spite of the fact that school now has been in session for more than a month. Well, we all heard the shocking news around midnight that while White House announced the president and first lady both contracted COVID-19, I found out around 4.30 Saturday morning uh, that he was being hospitalized. It was disturbing to hear he was experiencing a fever, cough, and slight uh, oxygen deficit. I feared for the consequences to the nation and the world if the president suffered a prolonged illness or we lost him. I think a lot of people shared that feeling and concern. How thin a thread of life hangs for each of us and for the President of the United States. We should be grateful and prayerful that we actually have life and have good health. President Trump was transferred to Walter Reed Medical Center Saturday morning, receiving outstanding care, including therapeutics, remdesivir, an antibody cocktail, zinc, vitamin D, pepsid, melatonin, and other medications. His health and energy have improved, and the doctors were hopeful that he could be released as early as uh, today. President Trump supporters lined up in front of Walter Reed Hospital Saturday evening to show support for Trump, who has had the coronavirus. Dozens of people gathered for an event hosted by Women's for America First with Trump 2020 signs for a prayer vigil Saturday night. The president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, joined the prayer vigil, giving out boxes of candy to the participants. Trump thanked his supporters Sunday morning on Twitter. He also had a pizza delivered. Unbeliever supporters returned uh, on Saturday, or on Sunday morning, I should say, waving flags and honking horns. Uh, flowers were piling up on signs outside the main entrance of the facility. The president rode out in, his, in the beast in a, in a car cavalcade to greet the supporters on Sunday afternoon. Stocks, by the way, uh, rose uh, today. Futures are up as signs that President Donald Trump's health was improving. Eased, it eased some of the political uncertainty caused by his coronavirus infection. So the investors were pleased. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Please visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Go 
South Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented Associate Artistic Director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, building a beautiful performing arts center in downtown Naples. The ground will be breaking in about uh, in 2021. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we've got a big visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Well, I point out to our listeners that you're still in Tel Aviv. What's it been, about a couple of months now? been a couple of months now, and I don't know the situation right now. Who knows when it's going to change? At the moment, you're not even allowed to leave the country. So, wow! It's not a, that I'd want to get on, not that I'd want to get on a plane. I'm not really big on getting on planes at the moment. Well, I certainly um, agree with you on that, Mark. But uh, what's disturbing is there's been another outbreak of COVID-19, and uh, it's it's pretty severe there. Of course, there's a lot, also a lot of protests going on against the uh, prime minister. Right. So there's two things happening. So first of all, the, I mean the the outbreak has been getting worse and worse and worse. It started actually. Israel had completely, almost completely controlled the virus last May, and was down to four or five cases a day. And then instead of opening up carefully, which they said they do, the pressure was everywhere. Open this, open that, and they opened up everything fully. Mm. And immediately, new cases started developing. And over the course of the summer, instead of finding things to tighten, other than they they closed large wedding halls. For, that was the one thing they closed, but everything else they kept open because there was pressure from various interest groups. We, this, you, can't, you can't get COVID here, you can't get COVID there. You can't, you know, it was a whole, whole list of places you couldn't get COVID, but slowly but surely people were getting COVID from somewhere, and it was go, going up to close to 2,000 a day by the time September came. And then they insisted, the Minister of Education insisted that there's no problem opening schools because at least one or two people wrote papers that there's no um, there's no contagion in schools. The only problem is immediately a week after schools were open, the number of cases more than doubled, and at this point has tripled. Huh. So maybe no one, maybe the kids aren't the ones who are infecting. Maybe it's the, the teachers to each other. But regardless of how you want to look at it, opening schools ended up being a complete disaster. Now I should point out that Israeli schools are slightly different than American schools in the sense there are many, many more kids in a classroom. Uh-huh. High school classrooms have 40. Even elementary schools have 29 to 35. The average size of a U.S. classroom is 24. So, yeah, and even uh, here uh, in, for example, Cuyahoga County in Florida, uh, we have social distancing for classes. They're wearing masks and goggles, and uh, you know, uh, there's only about 40% of the kids that actually return to school. Most of them are doing distance learning. So uh, there are precautions being taken, and the, and the situation here is that we are not seeing an increase. In fact, the average number of cases has dropped from 221 in July down to uh, 28 
uh, yesterday. So uh, uh, maybe, did they do social distancing in, in, in schools? They did not in schools. That was part of the problem. You know, back in June when they first opened, there was a big, huge heat wave. Mm-hmm. And they actually said that for the days of the heat wave, you don't have to wear a mask mm. because it's so hot. And some, too many of Israeli schools are not air-conditioned. No, they should just cancel school for those days. I mean, the illogic of it is beyond, you know, think about it, totally illogical. Don't, you don't have to wear masks because it's too hot to wear masks. Well, that's very good, but the virus, we, one thing we certainly discovered about this virus is heat doesn't seem to bother it. So... That was just a stupid decision. There were a lot of stupid decisions like that. Look, there is no question that if people wear masks and 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 are at social distance, um, you don't need any government restrictions, right? I mean, that, that's that's the whole secret of Sweden. Sweden was successful, except for its old, for the old age people, because the Swedish people kept social distance yeah. and knew how to keep social distance, and they don't also they have a small number of people per family. Uh, if you do that, you don't need government restrictions. The problem in Israel is Israelis are very poor at that, and Americans in various you know it varies greatly in America. America is not one country in terms of how people act, but also much of America people don't keep social distance. And of yeah. course, we see the ridiculous politicalization around the issue of masks that well, there isn't in Israel. Well, you know, no it, political it, issue. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great reminder. What the even even uh, recent events, of course, in the White House demonstrate that this thing is extremely contagious. It may not be deadly to many people, to most people, in fact, but uh, for those that are, have co. Uh, have problems with their health certainly should take care now and in israel is these infections and the increase is it are they asymptomatic are people going to the hospital what's happening the the hospitals right now have reached the point of of total overflow Hmm. that's what's literally happened in the last uh week to 10 days they've converted ward after ward from regular wards into corona wards and we now have more uh, seriously ill patients than they really can can deal with. Mm. Um, Israel also, unfortunately, generally speaking, has a relatively low number of hospital beds per per million. I think it's probably the lowest in the OECD. Uh-huh. So Israel generally has a problem in the winter time when there are lots of uh, pneumonia cases, etc. And so now we've we've reached that point. Um, look, a lot of people are asymptomatic, we all know that, but then a very significant portion are asymptomatic. And the problem has been particularly problematic in the ultra-Orthodox community. I mean, just now, I just saw a photo of absurdity. One of, their, one of the rabbis of one of that communities just died at 64 from corona. So what's happening? There are probably 2,000 people, you know, closely together at a funeral. Mm-hmm. So it's like, guys, your rabbi just died from corona. Yeah. Don't you think you should maybe not go to the funeral? Yeah. So, yeah. What's what, what's happening in the rest of Europe? So Europe is now having the same problem to a lesser extent, although France is having very serious outbreaks. Um, basically, look, what's happened, generally speaking, is as com- com- countries have opened up, um, the number of cases goes up. Uh, the death rate follows slowly. I mean, look, we do know we do know how better to care for Corona than we did. You know, when it first came out, I mean, right. look at all the different drugs that President Trump has, and none of those were being given when the, when Corona started. Right. So we clearly, and they don't always work, mind you, but they certainly work in X percentage of times, and so that's better than we had at the be- you know early on. There are other things we know not to do. We, for instance, all over the world, we know not to put people on respirators too quickly, because putting people on respirators. Um, can often be be the final. It's very difficult to get someone, certainly someone who's older, right. off a respirator. Young people, it's reasonably easy to wean them off a respirator because they have strong bodies and everything. Well, else. And all, I think I think we also learned that oxygen is a better solution than uh, respirators. So. Right, but at some point it doesn't work. I mean, unfortunately, I have an acquaintance in, in where I come from, Westchester. Um, he's been hanging on with oxygen for the last. Um, couple of weeks he was oh. just put on a respirator last night because there's no choice scary scary so, stuff so scary. yeah and and uh it's, uh, you'd like to think that there's going to be a downturn in, in this thing but apparently it, it it returns and it doesn't matter whether it's whether it's cold or warm so uh, in here in in uh, florida the governor said there will not ever be another shutdown because we, we've learned enough now to make that decision but well i don't know again it's the only the, look let's let's look at it the other way though not that we want to be China, 
but the only place that managed to, and, and well, we would like to be in New Zealand, but China was the one place that managed to completely eradicate the virus, and they did that by incredibly tight shut shutdowns. And now China is 100% back in terms of its economy working and everything else because there is no virus. New Zealand did pretty much the same thing. Any sign of the virus, they shut everything down, and now there's no virus in New Zealand. Yeah. So you can look at it either way. I mean, uh, I don't have a good solution, mind you, and especially the United States is very problematic uh, because there are 50 states, and each state um, has its own policy. And, of course, some states are stricter, some states are not as strict, and, of course, there's no control over people traveling between states in the United States. Yeah, and there's also so, the unintended consequences of shutdowns and rules and so forth. So it, it is a different... Right, but to, I, I, would, I would argue that everybody in the whole world would have been done, would have done better if back in March or April or whenever, whenever it first hit, wherever it hit, people had gone into a total shutdown for six, eight weeks, ground the economy to a complete halt, you know, basically freeze rents, freeze mortgage, freeze everything for 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 for, for six weeks, and kill the virus. Uh, and then you can have, then you can go back and have normal lives. Uh, well. Now we're living in this never never land where people are afraid. People, you know, and people are still dying, mind you. Yeah. You can't take away from the fact that everywhere in the world, whether it's in Israel or the United States or France or Mexico or Brazil or India, people are dying all the time. So I would uh, I would say I would suggest that uh, there are better solutions. We can all look out after our own health, and we can take precautions. That's what people do, even when the economy opens up. There is an economic downturn, but people are taking taking caution. They're making good decisions for the most part. So uh, right, but uh, again, the people who can't make those decisions, people who work in essential jobs, people yeah. who you know the, the cashiers, the policemen, all of those things. They can take precautions in terms of masks and everything, but the reality is they can't. They can't make so. They can't have social distance that you and I can do. Yeah. Because we we don't have to. You know, you you sit on the radio. I sit in front of my computer. Some once in a while on a TV studio, but usually even that is these days is remote via Zoom. Yeah. So. Hey, Mark, we got so many other things to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. That's just one of the terrific initiatives. And you can find out more by visiting their website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and an author. Right now, we continue our conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a multimedia terrific website, HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, let's move now to what's happening to Belarus and in Minsk. Uh, the the uh, protests continue in Belarus. Absolutely. These people give them, you've got to give them all the credit in the world. The fact is, they get arrested, they get beaten up, nothing seems to stop them. Their leaders get arrested, someone else steps forward. Um, it's just massive. I think, you know, probably 90% of the country now wants this guy to go. He's holding on by the, by the use of force, um, but just barely, and of course the potential help of, of Russians and his ally Putin. Yeah. Uh, but the people of Belarus are certainly making their views very clear, and they want this guy to go. And, uh, you know, it's time. He's a dictator in any situation that no one should stay in power too long. It's always one of the big problems in any ways in the world, even in a democracy. And that's why the United States, you know, presidents are limited to, to two terms and maybe two and a quarter, a third terms or two, almost two and a half terms if they should succeed a president. But that's why we've limited it, and as well as, People thought President Roosevelt was as a wartime leader or a Depression-era leader. Everyone agreed that it was just too much. Yeah. However good someone is, at some point, uh, two terms is enough. Well, back and, to uh, uh, back to Israel. The same thing is happening right now with uh, Netanyahu, uh, this protest against him, in spite of the fact that there's a shutdown. Right. Well, so they, with Netanyahu, you have two parts to the story. So number one, of course, he's now been in power for 11 straight years. And he ran again and was sort of elected because it wasn't really re- majority of people voted against him, but he still ended up in power, and by democratic means, mind you, but still the way the way the system works, um, and that's despite that he's not only um, has he been in the round too long, but he's under indictment on three sets of serious crimes. Yeah, and in most countries in the world, someone under indictment either couldn't run or wouldn't run, um, but he decided that he would run anyway. So they're fighting that. And, of course, one of the other problems that existed in this country relating to all the shutdowns is the amount of financial aid that's been given to businesses has not been sufficient. Yeah. And it hasn't been quick enough. So people are being shown, well, close, close your restaurant tomorrow, and maybe in six months you'll see some payment from the government. But in the meantime, you've got bills to pay. Well, we've got the There's same situation. Relating to yeah, we've got this uh, same thing going on right now, a game of chicken about uh, releasing more money, and we're going to watch our airlines. Right, so the and- Democrats and Republicans really, I mean, between the two of them, uh, neither side is doing a particularly good job no. uh, of coming to a conclusion here in terms of the secondary aid in the economy, which the United States needs at the moment. It's yeah. quite clear yeah. that the U.S. is minimally still in a recession. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not going to be easy to come out of this. People think it's just going to go away. Nope. I mean, you start going, industries are just... You start going mm-hmm. through bankruptcy and, and these types of problems. It's very difficult to recover. So we've got to, I mean, respond to this. And hopefully, this is already the 11th hour in the 59th minute. We've got to do something and soon. Right. No, absolutely. And it needs to be done quickly. And uh, I, I don't see it happening. And maybe, maybe because of the president's illness and... Uh, maybe you can get enough Republicans to go along. You know, there's, both sides have these... Uh, let me put it this way. The, the, the majority, the main part of both the Republican and Democratic parties are, are basically in favor of some sort of an arrangement. Right. You have parts of the Republican Party who suddenly become fiscal hawks and say we can't afford anything. I mean, they haven't been fiscal hawks the last three years, but they have become. And you have some parts of the Democratic Party that want, don't want to do anything that might help Trump before the election. Yep. So... So right now, the two edges are what are determining what's what's going on here. Yeah, the center has to come together and kind of come come together with with some sort of aid package before it's too. You know, I mean, it's obviously already too late, but before it's too too late. It'll be it uh, too too late indeed. So, uh, but I want to also uh, bring up with the these tensions are high between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, I can't even say it. Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Yes. Yeah. It's not only tension. There's actual fighting going on. Yeah. And it's. Over this area that's that's in dispute between the two of them, it's officially part of Azerbaijan, but it's uh, controlled by Armenian separatists, and the, Arme- the Armenian government doesn't recognize the separatists, but aids them. 
but um, it's an area called Nagoma Karbakh. But what's interesting about this fight is is the allies everybody has. So Azerbaijan, which is a majority Muslim Shiite country, has on its side Israel and Turkey. Israel, obviously, um, not Muslim, and Turkey, which is Sunni Muslim. And Armenia, which is uh, neither, has Russians and the Iranians on their side. So we have a rather strange group of people who are each supporting the other side. Um, Interesting bedfellows. You know, it's, it's really, it's very strange bedfellows. It's, it, it, if you would have said, you know, I mean, be part of it, let me just say one thing, just so people understand. Azerbaijan is Shiite, and it's the only other, other country in the world that is controlled by a Shiite government and is a majority Shiite country, yeah. other than Iran, but, but totally secular. Hasn't Armenia uh, said they are willing to talk or they're ready to have some peace negotiations? Yeah, they've said they'd be willing to have some peace negotiations. Azerbaijan says you have to move all your troops out first. Um, again, you know, it's one of these things where when everything is said and done, again, it's, it's nationalism. It's this, you know, this, this insanity that, that takes over people about this group piece of land, whatever it might be. Yeah. And, you know, people have gone to wars constantly, certainly in the last century, before the United Nations. And I'm not really sure why the UN can't get involved in this one because there isn't there isn't a lot of great great power um, you know issues here. It's not like there used to be in the Soviet Union, the United States, and we took one side and the Soviets the other, and therefore it was impossible to get anything done. Here, I mean, yes, the Soviets support Armenia a little more than Azerbaijan, but they're not you know they're not enemies of Azerbaijan either. It used to be part of the Soviet Union. Yeah, spe- speaking of the uh, the Cold War, I mean, the U.S. and Russia are, uh, apparently are scheduled to hold nuclear arms talks in Finland. Right, so um, they are scheduled to have them. Remember that the United States uh, in the last year has walked away from almost all of our nuclear arms agreements. Mm-hmm. So are we going to try to negotiate something new? I mean, we're sort of in, you know, the, we're in the 11th plus hour, at least of the first Trump administration. Very unusual to succeed in any sort of, regardless of who's the president, mind you. But, right. you know, right before an election or right after an election, if you lose, it's not a time you manage to come to any sort of uh, arms negotiation, so we'll see. Um, you know, if President Trump gets reelected, then that's, you know, that could be could be worthwhile. If uh, President Biden or Vice President Biden becomes elected, then I'm sure he'll engage in some other negotiations with the Russians. So yeah. now it's kind of a bit a bit odd time, let's put it that way. Indeed. And the final point, though, I do, is, is there progress at all with uh, Brexit and uh, closing the gaps for with the no, it doesn't seem to be any progress at all. It seems like Boris Johnson... I mean, look, Boris Johnson's walked away from the agreement he signed. So he's ready to do a no-deal Brexit. I'm not sure how that's going to work uh, in terms of you know British trade and everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many issues that have become things that seemed like the world was, you know, moving reasonably, reasonably forward, and then the last couple of years, so many things have come off the rails, and then we have COVID to totally destroy any sort of uh, everything is going to be fine scenario in the world. So we're going to need strong leadership to to put all these things back together again, I'm afraid, Um, and it's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy indeed. Again, Mark Schoen, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. It'd be great for you, for kids of all ages, uh, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your well-informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob, and you and your viewers. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be uh, visiting uh, with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com 
to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Get tickets now by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the fa- President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. So tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We're a private foundation. Uh, We depend entirely upon contributions from other foundations as well as individuals. Our focus is on young people of high school and college age, and our purpose is to educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property, and personal character. Your listeners can learn a lot more about us by visiting our website at feefee.org, where they'll find not only a daily cascade of new commentary, but also details about programs that we do for uh, young people all over the country. I just—it's uh, a—I wish I knew about uh, the Foundation for Economic Education when my when I was raising my kids. Uh, I just encourage our listeners: just great programs, great education for young people. Fee. dot org is the website. So uh, you wrote a column about Diamond Jim Brady, the Gilded Age. Was it greed or a heart of gold? Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Uh, Diamond Jim Brady was a very colorful figure, and many of your listeners may recall learning something of him uh, in their history books in school. He was born in 1856 and died at the age of 60 in 1917. He was uh, originally a very uh, poor person from a poor family, uh, but he worked hard. He had a tremendous work ethic, and he uh, early on in his uh, life, became uh, first a bellhop and then went on into the railroad business. And he eventually did just about everything in railroads, including becoming a manufacturer of uh, steel railroad cars. Uh, uh, he was a savvy investor in uh, stocks and bonds. Uh, he even knew horse racing well enough that he did very well in betting on uh, horses. So he made a fortune, but what he's best known for in history is uh, his his appetite <laughs> and his jewelry. Yeah. Uh, in terms of appetite, he could sit down uh, for dinner and eat what uh, normally it might take eight or ten people to eat. Uh, he just loved everything from oysters to uh, every kind of seafood. to He could eat a box of chocolates uh, in, in minutes. Uh, so he had a huge appetite, but he also wore jewelry uh, very heavily all over him um, and that's how he got the name Diamond Jim because he would have oh anywhere from 50 to $100,000 worth of jewels and that's in money of you know 1900 value so many times that in value today he would wear that uh, from head to toe yeah so you yeah, those uh, his uh, appetite I'll call it an addiction for for uh, eating 
and his diamonds. I mean, was he a, a, a bad guy? Was he a difficult guy to, to deal with? Was he greedy? Uh, well, you know, some people would uh, look at just those two things about him, uh, his appetite and his jewelry, and say, ah, greedy capitalist, you know, how can he do such a thing? Well, he certainly had his eccentricities, but yeah. that's not the full story of the man. And the purpose of my article was to point out that too often we jump to conclusions based upon a little, a little sliver of knowledge or maybe the most public knowledge about somebody. But uh, often if you dig a little deeper, you find uh, there may be a lot more to the person and maybe some very good things to him. And that was the case with uh, Diamond Jim. He was an extraordinarily uh, generous philanthropist. Uh, even the New York Times, when it wrote about him when he passed away in 1917, uh, noted that he was an exceptionally sweet-tempered man. He would go to the limit for a friend or to help someone in distress. Uh, his uh, philanthropy included uh, huge gifts uh, to important institutions. For instance, all that jewelry that he had, you might wonder, well, what, what a waste, you know, what happened to that? Well, he bequeathed it to the uh, Metropolitan, uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Yeah. So that benefited them enormously. And he gave the bulk of his estate to Johns Hopkins University Hospital, several hundred million dollars worth in today's money. Just an exceptional man. I mean, what's uh, too bad about history, I think, is actually this is the day that uh, Steve Jobs died in uh, 2011. And what an incredible, you know, he was adopted. He he didn't have an easy life at all, dropped out of college and, uh, you know, went on certainly eccentrics. Who's more uh, eccentric than Steve Jobs or in this case, Diamond Jim Brady. But what a contribution they made to the world. Uh, you know, Jobs, for example, look what he left us in terms of wealth and in terms of gadgets and machinery and uh, computers and so forth. Jim and Jim, in his case, contributing so much to the railroad business and, and railroad comfort. Absolutely. He is still regarded to this day as the greatest salesman to the railroads uh, that the industry has ever known. Uh, I mean, I mentioned that he had done all sorts of jobs within the industry, but his greatest was... Uh, to be uh, a tremendous salesman. He, he, he knew everything that the railroads needed from uh, uh, seat cushions to smokestacks, and he knew where to get them and where to get them at the right price and the proper quality and how to get them quickly and relatively cheaply to the railroads. I mean, uh, they loved him. And I might add, by the way, that so did jewelry makers and uh, jewelry store owners and restaurant owners in New York. They loved him a lot and hated to see him go. One man who owned a seafood restaurant in Times Square <laughs> said uh, he became very close friends with Diamond Jim, but he loved to see him come into the restaurant. He said he was the greatest uh, 25 customers I ever knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, I forgot who said it, but uh, the key to life is to find a needed fillet. That's what he was able to do. He could even create a need. So. Uh, uh, just a remarkable, remarkable man. And uh, these people come along once in a lifetime, and uh, it's so yeah. interesting to see. Uh, I, I would add that uh, you know President Trump is a remarkable man in that regard too. He wasn't born into great wealth. He he didn't, I guess, start off with a pretty sizable investment from his dad. But uh, irrespective, what he has created has just been enormous. Yeah, it really is the uncommon people who make history, and the ones that are most memorable. I mean, the last thing you'd want to do is to tell your child growing up uh, to work hard and be uh, no better than common. It's the uncommon with their eccentricities and sometimes with their courage uh, to speak truth to power, for instance. The ones that stand out from the crowd are usually the ones who move history in uh, the best directions. Yeah, and march to the beat of their own drummer or take the path less traveled to... to uh, yep. Quote, uh, another quote as well. Uh, so I, I just want to, are you starting up uh, your seminars again at uh, the Foundation for Economic Education, or are you still virtual? Uh, they're still virtual, with very few exceptions, uh, unfortunately. We yeah. look forward to the day soon when they can go back to uh, you know, being in person. But we have large audiences online for the programs, but they're, they're not quite the same as when you can do them in person. No, I've been to programs, uh, your annual meeting that you're holding down here on the Paradise Coast, and I must say it was thrilling. Just It was really inspiring to see so many young people committed to personal responsibility, committed to 
uh, free markets and to uh, economic independence. I just it was uh, I I just would love to. See, I, I just encourage our listeners go to fee.org, get some young person in your life, get them involved, and just at least introduce them to the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Uh, Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He used to go to the White House. He had a press pass. Uh, now he's retired. He's written a couple of books, some great murder mysteries, really fun to read. The first is Follow the Leader, and its sequel is uh, Shake of the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and that's just one of the initiatives, doing great things uh, in states across the nation and working with the White House as well. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. I mentioned earlier in the show that uh, Governor DeSantis said Friday that closing school campuses in the spring at the, at the coronavirus panic took uh, hold might have been one of the biggest uh, public health mistakes we've ever made. He equated people fighting the return of students to classrooms as a flat earthers of our day. Florida shut down school and college campuses in March with students shifting to online learning. DeSantis and Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran have now pushed heavily to reopen classrooms for the new school year. More than one million students have returned to classrooms across the state, uh, DeSantis said, which is great news. And I must say, I'm so pleased that the schools are open. And uh, so far, it's working. We're not seeing the numbers go up. But it, we've heard what happened in Israel from Mark, uh, Mark Schulman. So it's concerning what could happen if we don't maintain our vigilance and uh, keep watch uh, and so with social distancing and the, the other things recommended. Well, the monthly Democracy Institute Sunday Express poll for the presidential election shows that Donald Trump is still on course for victory with 46% of the popular support compared to his Democrat rival Joe Biden's 45%. My mind, I can't believe that he's got that, I'm talking about Joe Biden now, that level of support. I mean, you see Bernie Sanders doing uh, an event for 
uh, Joe Biden in New Hampshire, and there's just a handout, a few dozen people showing up. It's just unbelievable. Think about what happens when the president just gets out and, and uh, the vigils all across the nation for the president, the prayer vigils, uh, because of what had happened. So the poll was completed after the news broke that President Trump and his wife Melania had been infected by COVID-19. But 68% say the illness would not affect their vote, while 19% they said they were more likely to support Trump and only 13% less likely. Almost two-thirds said they felt sympathy, sympathy and concern for the president, while 38% said getting into the disease was karma and an indication of the current divisive nature of U.S. politics. Crucially, Mr. Trump leads in a key swing states, including Florida, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, and remains at 4% by 47 to 43% in the lead. That gives a projected electoral college split of 320 to, to Trump and 218 to Biden. Remember, uh, a reminder, there's a 270 electoral college votes necessary to win the presidency. Now, while other polls have shown Biden ahead, the Democracy Institute, which correctly predicted Brexit and uh, Trump's win in 2016, only considers people who identify as likely voters rather than all registered voters and also asks about the so-called shy vote. And while NBC and W. Wall Street uh, Journal polls sampled eight percentage points more Democrats, the Democracy Institute methodology is more fair. The national poll has a margin of error of about 2.5%. So this is just really good news to me and to other uh, supporters. You know, it's not necessarily Trump that we support. It's the Second Amendment. It's, well, we support Trump, certainly, but we, we support all the things that he represents, including free speech, including uh, recovering economy, and all the things that you can imagine. Just very important that uh, Trump continue uh, to heal, number one, and number two, to be elected, I think, to the uh, presidency. And by the way, a Florida International University poll of Cuban Americans has two kinds of bad news for Democrats, bad news and really bad news. 90% of Cuban Americans definitely plan to vote. 59% will vote for President Trump and only 25% for Biden. Even among registered Democrats, 15% will vote for Trump. How about that? This is among Cuban-Americans, and while the media office insists that younger Cuban-Americans are more liberal, and it's true, but 55% of 18- to 19-year-olds are still voting for Trump, and 46% of Cuban-Americans are born in America. So that's a great story. What's happening with Hispanic votes? More and more Hispanics are turning to to vote for Trump as well. Voter registration data bodes well for President Donald Trump in a handful of key states. The registration data shows Republicans gaining more voters than Democrats, and Democrats lagging in their 2016 registration numbers in two cases. The data, which is from March through September, is as follows. Florida Republicans added 195,000 voters, while Democrats added 98,000. In 2016, Republicans added 182,000 and Democrats 163,000. You can see the big gap there. In Pennsylvania, Republicans added 135,000 votes, Democrats 57,000. In 2016, Republicans added 177, and Democrats 155,000. Big gap there. By the way, uh, the Democrats are now starting to go out and to uh, beat with people and trying to get them registered to vote for uh, Biden. That's a little short <laughs> That's 30 days before the election. That, that is not good planning in my estimate. North Carolina, Republicans added 83,000 voters while Democrats added 38,000. And the numbers are uh, the same for 2016, 54,000 for Republicans and 38,000 for Democrats. So the national polls have Trump lagging Biden nationally. But if the polls are wrong, by the same margin of error as they were in 2016, Trump has an easy path to an electoral victory. According to an analyst from the uh, New York Times, if the average poll is 100% accurate, they project Biden winning 353 electoral votes. Uh, the Times predicted that Hillary would win by 347 votes to Trump's 191, but this is exact same logic as 2016. You can see what's going to happen. So, 
what if we take the average poll at face value and then subtract the difference of how much they were off by 2016? In that case, Trump could be reasonably expected to win 278 electoral votes to Biden's 260. So this is all good news uh, for President Trump's victory. Uh, we just pray for his, his well-being and for his health, number one. Hopefully he'll be released today in good health. Apparently he's been working just as hard uh, at the hospital as he works typically at home or in the White House. Changing gears slightly, uh, this is so interesting. Both Game 1 and 2 of the NBA Finals between the LA Lakers and the Miami Heat have suffered the worst ratings crash in the league's entire TV broadcast history. Despite the matchup between two of the league's biggest stars, that would be LeBron James and Anthony Davis, both playing for the Lakers, Game 1 of the Finals was a huge ratings disappointment, and Game 2 cratered with just 4.5 million viewers and a dismal 1.9 in the ratings. This embarrassing show was down, get this, showing was 68% uh, over Game 2 in 2019, a 68% drop. Can you believe that? The horrific collapse should not be surprising after polls have found that many fans now believe that basketball is far too political. In a September 2 Harris poll found that 39% of respondents who identified as sports fans felt that the league was too political and another 19% that said they had turned off pro basketball because of NBA's deep links to China. Interesting. In 2020, post-COVID-19 uh, season launched with a heavy-handed presence of the anti-American anti Black Lives Matter agenda. And that's been a real problem. It's a problem for me. I have dampened my enthusiasm for professional sports. I used to watch every, especially during the playoffs, I used to watch every game of the playoffs of the NBA. Now I don't watch it at all. Of course, uh, my favorites, the, the Celtics aren't playing this year. That may have some impact too, but irrespective that same thing with baseball and even professional football as well. I think they're going to discover is uh, what's the phrase? Uh, go woke and go broke. That's what's happening right now. Is they're going to see a reduction in the support of the league and uh, what's going to happen there? That's going to lead to lower salaries. Inevitably, this will hit the pocketbooks of the professional players. Four years ago, the liberal networks pounded Republican nominee Donald Trump with bad press, yet he won the White House anyway. Now ABC, CBS, and NBC Evening Newscasts are giving Trump the same hostile treatment, aren't they? But they're significantly softened their approach to Trump's Democrat opponent, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. It's just horrific uh, what we're seeing here. Not only is Biden facing much less negative coverage than the president, he's received only one-sixth as many negative coverage as uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton received during the recent weeks of the uh, 2016 general election when she was Trump's opponent. Instead of criticizing Biden for his hiding-in-the-basement approach to the campaign, the networks are rewarding it by fo focusing nearly all of their negative scrutiny on President Trump. The Media Research Center reviewed all evening news coverage of this year's presidential candidates from August 1st through September the 15th, and compared it to the same period in 2016, the results show the liberal network's coverage of Donald Trump has been consistent in its relentless hostility. Overall, Trump's received 379 minutes of airtime in this year's period versus 408 minutes in 2016. Evaluative statements about Trump skewed 90% negative in 2016. This year, it's slightly worse, 93% negative for President Donald Trump, 29% positive statements versus uh, 389 negative ones. Can you believe that? 29 positive statements, 389 negative statements about President Donald Trump. In 2016, the network spent less time on candidate Clinton, 262 minutes, and there were many fewer negative statements about this year's Democrat nominee compared to Trump, but Clinton still faced a decent amount of scrutiny, 90% negative statements versus uh, 17 positive statements for overall spin of 84% negative. This year, Biden has received less airtime than Clinton, garnered four years ago, and far less attention to his GOP opponent, just 148 minutes during this period we studied, including the virtual Democrat National Convention four years ago, both parties held their conventions in July. Uh, compared to Clinton four years ago, Biden's press has been completely toothless. Just 15 negative statements and 19 positive statements for an overall score of 54% positive. 
Even though their election preference was pretty clear four years ago, the network still managed to air six times more negative statements about Clinton in 2016 than they have about Biden in the same period. Can you get the drift here? I mean, they've just gone off the rails. They are, have no shame when it comes to uh, the support or lack of support for President Donald Trump. think he's going to win anyhow, don't you? Well, this is, that's a wrap on today's show. I hope you'll uh, join us tomorrow. Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, will be on, joining us. We'll also find out what's new with Boo up in Madison, Wisconsin, Boo Mortensen. Seat Motley is the founder and president of uh, Less Government. I'm hopeful that Byron Donalds will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>